0: Single week, a mix of professionals, but this week we're starting with our core, our experts. Those that are going to keep you in the mix of everything real estate. So I'm going to go around the table, we're going to talk about different topics, you're going to be able to ask all the questions you want to, and let me introduce them for you so you know who our core team, our experts, who they are. First we have Adam Sperger. He is a real estate professional, residential real estate professional. Next, we have Nima Ameri. Nima Ameri is the principal partner of Amery Law. He's a real estate attorney, and I just like to call him a rockstar deal maker. Next, we have Eric Anderson. Eric Anderson is the CEO of Alexander Anderson Real Estate Group. And last but not least at all, We have Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif is a real estate investor and the VP of Alexander Anderson Real Estate Capital Group. All right, so we are going to start with some exciting deals that these guys are doing, right? Sounds good. Yeah, okay, you guys loose, you ready? We're ready. Okay, so we're gonna go around and we're gonna talk about some exciting real estate deals that are happening right now. Who's gonna start?
1: Who wants to be the first victim? Uh, Great question. So I guess I'll be the first victim. So Noel, thanks for that great intro. Um, Our goal here is to just talk about different things and and give you insight to what's really happening out there in the world. So one exciting deal that we're working on right now, and um, we're not gonna share with you the exact location of it because a lot of this stuff is confidential, but we wanna give you a flavor of um, what we're doing and what you could expect in the future. Um, and and exciting stuff. So we have this 4,500 square foot office building that um, was a real estate owned property that we sold to an investor about a year and a half ago before COVID really got into full swing. So we sold this property for the mid $200,000 range. Um, We had some issues with COVID because as you know, everybody was locked down, so none of the work was getting done, nothing could proceed, it was just sitting there and while a property is sitting there, even though it's not costing you anything on the rehab basis, because you can't do any work, it's actually costing you a lot of money on lost opportunity, on, uh, on interest costs, and, and all that money that you put into it, it's, it's losing interest and losing opportunity in other places. So um, any good investor is going to add that onto their to their cost basis. So finally, like two years later, the property's done. Um, we actually had a, one of our team uh, media professionals go out do a great VR tour, uh, put the property on the market for 650. dollars uh, The property has got off to a slow start because it was an office product. And um, uh, while we were showing it, it took maybe 30 or 45 days before we really got any headway. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we had five uh, showings at the same time. So. Um, Literally, we got this amazing offer um, close to ask, and uh, the contract was just about to be signed. And um, one thing you need to understand is if you represent a buyer or if you are the buyer, um, if, you're, if, you're, if your client or, or you as the buyer want something, don't let time stand in the way of getting it done. You know, There's an old adage, um, time kills deals. So this buyer, took two weeks to get their contract signed. So during that two week period, two other buyers literally came out of the woodwork and bid over what this buyer um, was positioned at. So what's exciting about that is now we have three amazing buyers. Um, The one that was original uh, was not only about 30 or 40,000 off of the asking price, but um, was was a mortgage needed financing uh so you have all kinds of questions and issues regarding financing um they had a due diligence period that they needed to have Um, the latest buyer is full ask has um no contingencies whatsoever and it's it's really exciting and it's moving forward so that's a real success story uh where where this owner um, is making a couple hundred thousand dollars um in this in this uh i guess you could call a commercial flip so um, it should be closing in the next two or three weeks, and it's uh, it's really exciting, and, and we are um, happy to have represented um, both sides of the transaction. So something to look forward to. Um, who else wants to share a deal? Well, it's not really a deal. So so right now, I'm in the
2: process. So I have a particular buyer, and they're very particular about the area that they'd like to be in, and unfortunately it's a very niche market it's a you know three four million dollar market there's not a lot of homes on the market that are in that area i guess they want to be in there's about six streets so you know since there's not a lot on the market what i've been doing is kind of going back to the drawing board and i've been going after um either expired listings withdrawal listings but i've also been going borderline door to door and you know so I've, i actually have somebody that i'm going to visit uh, probably tomorrow evening that is interested if i get him the right price he would sell his house so the the good side about that is a i get a house for my client i help him sell his house i get to represent both sides in the party or in the deal um so it's, it's not a deal yet but it's something that i'm currently working on right now as we speak
0: how did you find that that buyer
2: so the buyer was a lead that i've been working with for ah, i
0: meant the seller oh the I seller mean, yeah
2: sure so the seller what i did was i went into the particular area they want to be in, those six streets, uh-huh. I went into one of our, uh, some software that we have, and I found every house that was appraised or assessed by the town over a certain value that hasn't sold in the last 10 months, um, and was over a certain square footage, just so I can appeal to what they were looking for, and it was also built in the last 10 years, 15 years or so. And I made a list, and I went door to door, and I put notes in every single mailbox, and I mailed them as well. And some nice. people, out of the first 10 that I did, one person called back, and I'm going to preview his house. And it could turn into a potential, mm-hmm. if it works out, for maybe $4.2 million sale. So there's there's a, what's the
3: adage, uh, everything's for sale at the right price. Yeah. I get, um, aside from being an attorney, uh, rockstar dealmaker as no one inflated me at. They already uh, forgot that part. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, I, I have to remind them. <laughs> um, you know, we, I, I own a considerable amount of real estate you know, myself and, and, uh, and my father. Uh, with that, you know, what people have been doing, and I get calls all the time, is, um, "Hi, do you want to sell your house?" And I'm like, H- "How'd you even get my cell phone number?" Like, you know, I, I think I, I think people now are going to all those like car insurance warranty people, being like, "Hey, can I have some of your phone numbers <laughs> because <laughs> we need access?" So I get calls almost on a weekly, and of course, no, I don't want to sell it, but. Everyone if you get that call like you know, these properties have have been held for a very long time They'll forever probably be held but you you listen to it and when someone's calling you and they're like We want to buy it and we're willing to pay you, you know significant amount of money I think even people who don't want to sell will take the minute to say well How much right Right? because everything is for sale at the right price. So you're talking
0: about right? right so I think
3: to your point don't be afraid if something's not on the market, what you're doing, that that kind of hustle that you have, you never know. Because someone exactly. really may not want to sell it, but if you call them and they're hearing from their friends how buyers are paying stupid numbers for houses that just don't make sense, really, and they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Maybe you're just that right phone call that
2: had them on the edge and they're like, you know what, I'll hear you out. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, given the market right now, sorry to cut you off, but given the market right now, there are limited houses on the market, and there's also, I mean, there's not as much competition when you get to the 3 $4, 5000000 million range, but there is competition. So, you are facing competition from other people. When you have an off-market, you have zero competition, because nobody else is really competing with you. You're just going directly to the seller. So, you're not going to have other offers, generally, that you're competing against. It just makes it a lot easier. So, I got a question for you guys, right? Because you all, you're all do real estate, you're real estate agents, you have
3: buyers, right? So other than Eric, you know, he's, he's the, the, the top of the food chain, but for, you know, when, when, you're, when you've got clients calling you, right, and they're saying, look, I want to buy a house, you know, I feel like, and we've experienced this with our guys, everyone's like, this is my price range because this is what I can pay in terms of a mortgage. But I never hear people talk about how do property taxes factor into that? right do you ever get that question because imagine how much more buying power you can have if you look at what the property taxes are because you could maybe
1: buy half a million dollar more house in a different town i'll set you up so adam adam this is a great question that you're asking because adam literally just had a situation a week ago where he needed to go through this exercise so why don't you so so i have a particular buyer um they were looking in a certain
2: area where the taxes are significantly higher, maybe 2.5%, 2.6%. Pretty much all of New Jersey. Pretty much all of New Jersey, except for about six towns. And you know, at that price, they were looking to spend 1.1, 1.2. So the taxes were 25, dollars 27000 somewhere in that ballpark. Um, what I did was I took them to another house and said, here's another house. Yes, they're asking significantly more. Instead of 1.2, maybe it's 1.8. So, but if you take the difference in the taxes, in that town, the taxes are maybe $17,000. If you take the difference in the taxes, your monthly payment's going to be very similar. So, you know, there's, you know, several towns throughout the state that just have much lower taxes, and it depends on the area you're looking to be in. You're going to pay more for the house, but if you have your way, wouldn't you rather pay a higher value for the house than pay higher property taxes? Of course. At least you're building equity. Property
0: taxes are forever. And
2: they're never going down. At least you're building equity in the house. Unless you guys call me. So wait,
0: do you guys have a crazy, exciting deal that you're working on right now?
3: I think every deal is crazy. The question is is that <laughs> exciting, right? In today's market, like everything is crazy. You put a shoe up for sale and you have people calling you like bidding on it. But um, I mean, I've got a deal right now uh, and the the issue is the buyer is a seasoned investor. I mean, the guy knows his stuff, does, the, does this for a living, right? Um, and a lot of you guys are, you, I'm sure a lot of you guys got interested in doing real estate because somewhere in the back of your mind you're hearing about um, buying, fixing, reselling, you know, and Omar would really be able to talk a lot about that department. But, um, you know, what he what he didn't fully account for was the septic because it had a septic, right? So, a lot of people look at it and say, okay, there's a septic. And they look to see if there isn't a septic, then there's a problem, you have to put one in because the law changed and you can't sell a house without a septic system, uh, assuming that you have a septic system, you're not a, you're not a sewer. But, you know, in, in this scenario, there was a septic, so he's like, okay, it's fine turns out that there was an issue with that septic and it does need to be replaced. And what cost 18 grand five years ago is now a $30,000 job in today's market, which is a significant adjustment in a flip property or resale property or whatever term you guys want to use for it today. So it's, well, it's not exciting. It's interesting because it now threw a major wrench into what otherwise was a great transaction. And this, this exact transaction also ran into COVID problems. Because it's a little further out, right? Around here is just a little too hot. So people are going a little further out to different counties where they're getting cheaper properties and they're hitting three singles instead of a grand slam and they're comfortable with it. But that delay, right, as go back to property taxes, even if you bought it property cash, right? You're still writing a check every month for your insurance and your property taxes. They're never going down. No, that's, that's some cost. There's no return on that. Right? It's like it's like an HOA fee. You're never gonna get that money back, right? If you're buying a condo, that money's gone. You're never getting it back. You're never gonna. That's never gonna be rebuilt back into your price because you're not building equity, right? So, you know.
0: I'm just gonna take a quick, a few quick questions, and then we're gonna get to you, Omar. Okay? We're we're, we're, gonna save the best for last, right?
4: Awesome.
0: Amy wants to know what's the biggest deal you guys have ever closed, ever big. I want to hear crazy numbers. Let's go.
1: Well, he's gonna have the craziest numbers because he represents a lot of.
0: Crazy Very number high people, net worth
1: right. people. So, um, so why don't you throw it out for I
3: think it was the largest in the state that year. Two hundred and fifty million dollars. Wow. God.
1: I can't compare that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the largest that I've ever closed, uh, where I've represented a third party, was about nine million. I have something right now under contract for about fifteen million. Yeah. Um and then I have something that I'm working on that's about thirty-five million. Hopefully that one closes.
4: Uh, largest for me has been and this is low compared to them too but 2.5 million yeah I'm gonna be in the same range range, so I have
2: uh, right now I have a house for just under 1.8 under contract we're negotiating a six million dollar deal but it's not you know it's not under contract yet but then I we have buyers ranging from 2 million to 4 million depending on the
1: town too sure who, who asked that question it was Amy Amy just so you understand from a real estate perspective, as a as a broker, um, everybody thinks their commissions range from like four to six percent. The higher that number gets, the smaller your commission number gets. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a thirty-five million dollar transaction, you may be getting like a flat fee of like five hundred thousand um, dollars. You're not going to get six percent of that. Um, the highest percentage I've ever gotten on a big big deal when I did like an eight million dollar deal, I got six percent. But that was purely. Um, let's say luck, and I had a lot of other factors involved, but typically the bigger the deal, it drops down to like 3%. Um, Amy wants to know about why. Why does the commission not Why, why can't you get the
0: 6% of the, That's of a great the $250 million. That's a great question.
1: So um, typically it's because of lawyers <laughs> who try to negotiate it down, but there's nothing that keeps you from asking for 6%. So like I have a t-shirt I didn't wear today, but it says Mr. 6%. Okay, so I ask for everything. <laughs> I want one of those. Yeah, so I ask for six percent on everything. Um, and what I teach uh, my students or the people that I, that, that um, work with me, if you do have to drop, right? You know, it's like do a striptease. Why drop to your Why drop your pants when you can take off your belt and you can take off your jacket? You know, go from six to go to five and a half percent. Go to five. Go to four point seven five. Like you can negotiate as slowly or in any type of uh, direction that you want to go. And one of the, the the ways I combat a negotiation is I just say, you know, Mr. Seller, um, you want me to drop my commission, but, you know, I'm this is my value, this is what I'm worth, and, and just imagine that if I drop my commission now so quickly and so easily for you, what am I going to do to the price of your property or to your house? So. My goal is to keep your value as high as possible, just like I'm keeping mine. So that's kind of the way I do it.
0: Jersey also wants to know that if if any of you guys could go back to being a rookie, what would be the biggest thing that you wish you had known then?
1: Let me me do that really quick. So if I could have been a rookie, I would have definitely gone to the Center for Real Estate Education. Ah! (laughs)
0: Yay, I like that one. See, Center for Real Estate Education. Um, I I have
3: an interesting answer to that one, actually. Guys, being a rookie and not knowing stuff is kind of what gets you to where you end up uh, today, right? So um, knowledge is power, right? So when you meet people who have more experience with you in the field, maybe you're smarter, maybe you're quicker, maybe you're younger, but you can't learn experience. So take it as much of it as you can. And as a rookie, don't feel like you need to know everything. Just try, make mistakes. Like I wouldn't change a thing from when I was a rookie to today. I did everything I needed to do, I jumped into every deep end I found, I rolled the dice as much as I possibly could, and I got here today. And just be prepared that you may fail, but as long as you keep trying, you'll eventually get there. So people who quit or who stop trying when it's not easy, they're the ones who think back to, well, what could I have changed when I was a rookie? I don't think there's anyone that you can talk to who as a rookie just went all in 110%, made 98% mistakes and 3% success but it's successful today, that would say I would change a thing, right? Of course, hindsight's 2020.
2: 20, but if you try everything, something will stick. Try everything in one focused apartment. And, and on that note, yeah, it's also don't be afraid to try new things and think outside the box. So, you know, like I was saying, looking for the off-market properties, everybody goes on the MLS and they look on the MLS and they wait for a house to hit on the MLS. But why not go after, like I said, expireds, withdrawn listings, or people that haven't sold their property in 20 years? Not only can you represent both sides, but you can find the right house for your client. You go above and beyond. So don't be afraid to, to think outside the box and find a different way. You know, if you're trying to go after a, if you're a, a realtor and you're trying to go after a for sale by owner, or you're trying to go after something like that, they get a thousand phone calls a day from other realtors just like you. You have to find a different way to get in front of them. And that could be, you know, door knocking on a Sunday that could there's so many different avenues to go about you know, getting in front of them, that's going to set you apart from everybody else. Yeah, I don't buy anything that's on the MLS.
0: Yeah, yeah, if it's on the MLS, it's already overpriced. And it's
3: too late, yeah. As yeah. an investment, it's too late. As an investor, guys, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't go to all your buyers and be like, no, no, you don't buy anything on the MLS. <laughs> let, me, let me work really hard and find you an off-market steal, right? Um, yeah. You know, you, you, the MLS <laughs> is where people trade properties, but in the limited instance of being in the mix, and that's what the mix is all about, right? Giving you that inside ingredients that make the cake. These are the stuff that we tell you if you you know when you get. Right, to are you in the mix? Am I in the mix? I guess we'll find out next we're episode. I think we're all in the mix. right So here. I just want to
4: add. Um, Nima made a great point. As far as being a rookie again, I probably wouldn't change much either because when I was a rookie, my expectations were set. I knew I was beginning and I was trying everything I could. So I didn't stick to one thing and hoped and hoped it would work and whatnot. I moved to one thing to another, and that gave me experience in being an agent, getting into investing, working with investors, rentals. So I'd recommend, just like he said, try everything and expect, you know, there's a sharp learning curve in real estate, but once you get the basics, you get the snowball going, it's going to compound into a lot of bigger deals and great results.
1: Well, I have one thing I would have changed, because that was the question, right? Yeah. What I would have changed is I would have started earlier, and I would have tried to find a mentor Um, It took me a while to even learn about real estate because I happened to be in a different career path and real estate was a hobby for me. Um, And then it took me until I was like 28 to go all in. So um, I have a 14-year-old son almost and I am like pushing him hard um, to get into real estate at an early age because I think it's really the best. Market out there just for, for so many different reasons.
3: And guys, remember, I mean, this is like an old rap quote, 50 Cent said it, I got pennies for my thoughts, now
4: I'm rich, it means he had a lot of thoughts. It's great, love that quote. Um, also, what Eric just said, as far as finding a mentor, I tried to find a mentor when I first started, easier said than done, I'm trying to think of um, I found people who I could work with, but to find an ideal mentor, which is what a lot, a lot of people look for when they begin, it may not exist, so just continue working and doing what you have to, until you find someone that you can learn with, or work with
1: and you can change mentors so yeah. mm-hmm. you can kind of like take what you can get you know it's like when you're hungry you just eat whatever and then as you get more experience you know what better foods to go after um, I had a mentor who was extremely selfish once I first found a mentor um, he was a, an old guy extremely selfish like to um, we're not supposed to curse here so like to screw with me um, and it took me a while to figure that out. And once I learned, um, I just, I cut and run and ran, cut and ran, and I, and I found a, a different person to work with. You want to find someone who actually cares. Um, and there's people out there that do. So um, keep trying.
3: And, and if I can add to that, this is a big pet peeve of mine, right, because you talk to people and everyone wants to be your mentor because everyone has an opinion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So my personal view is that everyone loves to give me advice, right, even now. Before and now. And I just look at them and I say, okay, and this may sound horrible, but I'm like, well, what do you have? Right? If you're not more successful than me by leaps and bounds and weren't at my age, what do I want your advice for? Right? It's like driving a Ferrari and getting advice from like a Ford mechanic. just doesn't make sense. So if you're going to find a mentor, look to someone who's already very well-established and who who wants to teach you, to Eric's point, just to teach you. He's not still in his hustle because if someone is still in their hustle, they're not your mentor they're, they're just gonna going to to hustle u- you they're gonna use you yeah. because they're still on their grind do the hustle do you need somebody <laughs> who's there who's established and you know what why not they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart and they they, enjoy they, it because they have their money it's in the bank right so pick the right mentor and don't listen to everyone's opinion if, if they're on the same level as you or if they're only a little bit ahead of you and they're much older than you that's not your mentor
1: right find the right mentor if, if you have to pick one and to further that one more. That mentor, um, if they don't have experience, so, so Nima said about the Ferrari and the Ford, um, mine would have been a Mercury Cougar at the time, but um, <laughs> if you don't have the experience, don't ask someone who you respect, should I buy this building, right? Unless they have buildings. You know. It's just like you respect your mom, you respect your dad, and you're going to ask them an opinion on something, you have to cage their opinion. You can respect what they're saying, But if you go to your mom and you're like mom should i buy this investment property and you know your mom was a a computer programmer or or she was a homemaker or whatever she's not really qualified to answer that question she's just going to give you her opinion from her heart for you so you have to cage that and understand where it's coming from and when i bought my first commercial building i went to a mentor who i had who didn't have experience in real estate but was a big time, big business guy, um, and he told me not to buy it. And um, I actually went against the grain because he was someone close in, in my circle, and I ended up doing it anyway, and I got a lot of flack from my immediate circle. But you know, fast forward to two years after I bought it, I made a million dollar profit on that purchase. So, had I listened to that mentor, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah guys, trust
3: your gut. And also, this actually is a good point. So. Um, when Omar was introduced, he's the vice president of Alexander Anderson Capital Group, right? What is that and what does that mean? And why is that important to what I'm saying? A lot of you guys want to get into the game, right? But the numbers we're talking about, it took a lot of $200,000 deals to get there, yeah. Yeah. right? And you know, even for you guys, look, a $200,000 deal may be a lot and you may not be ready and you may not have necessarily a mentor. You know who else is your best mentor? A business partner who is also making money in the deal. Yes. Because at that point, it has nothing to do with you. They're out there, they have the experience, they want to make money themselves, so you're just going to make money with them. And that's how you can also get a mentor without just wanting to do it for free. And that's why you should look to things like these capital groups that Omar is the Vice President of. Because maybe you drop in a couple bucks, you have $100,000, 200000 to your life savings, 50000 right? But you want to stick it into a capital group, right? And there's many capital groups out there. You want to put it into a capital group and then let them do the investing. And you sit back, you show up to the meetings, you look at the docs, you learn, you ask questions because now they're obligated to give you all the information. You're on the inside of a deal, but you're not first chair, you're second chair and you're letting the guy with experience be first chair. And after you do that a couple times, maybe now you'll learn or you'll have the confidence to do a deal on your own. So don't think you have to just jump into the deep end. There's things like capital groups that allow you to slowly walk in the pool and watch others swim.
0: Now that we're talking about Omar and the capital group, give us your crazy exciting deal.
4: Um, So the deal I was thinking of, I recently closed on a three unit building, two residential commercial on the storefront, uh, retail ground, ground floor. And we bought it based on the numbers, amazing numbers, location's great, but we realized that um, the utilities are shared, so there's one furnace that heats the entire building. We knew this going in, it's not a big deal, we accepted it, Uh, but what I'm dealing with right now, just part of the game, is when the bottom unit is heated, the top unit is cold, and we haven't figured out the balance yet, and it's a big capital expense that we have to account for. So after this wonderful podcast. I'm going to head over there and work on that, but that's my flavor of the moment in real estate. Go oh.
3: 1980s, plot all insulation, heat
4: rises. That's exactly what they want. <laughs> yeah. So they, the, the previous seller said heat rises. I'm like, that's great, for the ceilings, you know, the first floor turns 90 the, degrees, and the there's second a door fork. in between. Yeah, exactly. So it's not an ideal fix. We have tenants up there. We obviously want them to be warm during winter. Walk around drilling holes in the corners of be true. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> These work. are all jokes, by the way. We're just <laughs> laughing. Don't, so please don't do this. Don't, this. don't don't you this, this at home, home. home. folks. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. You, Heating blankets, heaters. That's a yeah, right. Only that worked, right? Well,
0: yeah. tomorrow wants <laughs> to know, tomorrow wants to know what is uh, the biggest mistake that you've made that you have or maybe have not come back from? Ooh. have not. I think, I I think, think
3: a back 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 yeah. yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, and listen that's, that's actually a loaded question, question yeah. because everyone can come back from a mistake. The only reason you don't come back from a mistake is because you gave up. Yeah. So... There should never be a scenario where you can't come back from a mistake.
4: Yeah, great. Um, but I wanna to add to that though, there are there some are deals where you can lose 150, 150, 250 grand, grand and it's and gonna take you some time back, to get back. So, so you, wanna you wanna avoid those mistakes. mistakes. Yeah, yeah.
0: So but, is that your biggest 250? You know, it could've been, I, uh, no, so, <laughs>
4: <laughs> my, my, I'll
3: give you guys a story. My biggest mistake personally, was I invested in a coffee shop. I'm not a restaurateur, I don't care,
1: <laughs> but Eric's laughing because he knows
3: about this. And I would frequent there all the time, and the lady was a nice lady, and just constantly kept asking me to invest, invest, They wanted to make it into a restaurant, right? Um, almost like halfway annoyed me to the point where I, stroke, I stroked a check for like, say 25 grand, right? Um, and you know, even though I'm a lawyer, I didn't do the diligence. due diligence. Um, uh-huh. uh, I'm, 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 I'm not a restaurant guy. guy. I know law, I, I, I know real estate. estate. I know mean, I mean, I know, I know, else, a lot, I know, I know coffee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know coffee and drink, right? right? So, so I would say my biggest mistake is getting involved in a business that I knew nothing about. Cause not only apparently did I not get equity in the business cause they sold it to someone else right. after they took a vacation and bought a Benz, but it took me a lawsuit to get my money back and they still felt like they didn't owe it back to me. So while well, for me it wasn't a, it wasn't a major mistake, like I lost 25 grand, whatever, I got it back later with a discount, it is what it is. That could be a significant amount of money for someone. Um, and the, the the moral of that story is the biggest mistake you can make is trying to be a jack of all trades. Find something you know, focus on that, and give it your attention, and you'll succeed. And maybe you won't succeed, but if you lose, it'll be the cost of doing business and you'll learn. And that that knowledge you get has intrinsic value, right? So if you buy a house and maybe you don't make money on it, right, you lose a couple bucks, you lose 10, 15 grand. What you learn in that process, as long as you're actively a participant, is what you gain from that deal. So consider it like if you guys went to college, you paid more per credit than you would losing 15 grand on a real estate deal. You have to look at it that way. The knowledge you got from that so it doesn't happen to you again is worth four times the amount you lost. So don't worry about winning and losing. You know, as long as you have a plan, you stick to your numbers, and those numbers maybe don't always pan out. I've never done a deal, by the way, ever, 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 where my numbers have panned out. It's never happened.
0: Is that the same with everyone? That's scary. No,
3: my numbers are always perfect. <laughs> no, I'm always 15% to 20% different. It varies. Different. Sure. If you guys do a budget at the beginning of a deal and you get that, I'm going to give you all my money. Unless there's no heat on the second floor. <laughs> well, I
4: represent the capital group. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
3: there's always a variable and you have to build in. If you do that budget in the beginning and you're running on the dollar, that's not a successful project. You need to have room in there. You're going to have a 10 to 15% margin of error, and you have to be prepared that you can hit something catastrophic, and that could really cause you to have to invest substantial capital, you need to be prepared to do that because there's nothing worse than being three quarters into a deal, you're fully tied up with all of your capital, something big happens, and you should otherwise be able to deal with it, but you can't because you've stressed yourself too thin and you have no additional capital sources, and that little thing snowballed. Because every week that your project is delayed because you can't address that issue at that moment, is more interest you're paying, especially if you have hard money, is more debt that's being accumulated, there's more taxes being due, you're, low, you're slower to the market, you're right, you can miss the market. All those things can cost a lot more than you anticipate or think. So be properly capitalized or else look to capital groups until you can write the checks.
1: So let me wait, can I just add two things
0: Do you have a big mistake? Add two things and then give us your big
1: mistake. I don't ever make mistakes, but that's my first mistake. So first thing is, um, yes, I do have a mistake, but um, know your, if you're going to go into a partnership, know your partner. So um, I've had a couple partnerships in life, um, aside from my marriage, uh, which is a partnership as well. Um, for life for life we're going to be 20 years so the Harry Winston's coming this year thank you So you. Hey. you all the um, deals you have to close for Harry Winston <laughs> but uh, you have to know who you're partnering with uh, very 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 important so it's almost like dating like if you're going to meet a partner don't just jump into bed with them like take the time and learn and um, try to get them in different situations go out to dinner Go out. go play golf with them or you know play tennis whatever you want to do get them in different situations where you can actually learn who they are as a person. Because uh, as black and white as something can be on be on paper, the partner, is, their partnership is really with the person. Yeah. And if they have shitty yeah. morals or if they're just uh, not an honest person, you may not see that in the black and white numbers. And um, I'm a super, super, super trusting and open person. And because of that, uh, I've been burnt a couple times. And that's what he has me for. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me years um, to get to a point where I can, you know, really feel comfortable um, with my decisions on on people because my first my first thing is always to be trusting and, and to to love everybody. But um, so just be careful with that. But don't become cynical where you don't do anything. So you have to balance it. Um, and then the second point that I wanted to just quickly make is. Um, Nima, I have a coffee shop for you. <laughs> oh. Hard pass. <laughs> Unless I have no partners. I mean, you know what I actually just thought of when you were talking?
3: Imagine an app like Tinder for Business. Like, need a partner? Swipe right, don't like that person, we Just swipe left. Right. Right. We just
0: gave it to pat- everyone out there in TV, wants He stored it.
2: Now <laughs> you're in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good
0: turn. Right. Adam, big yeah. mistake. <laughs>
2: Uh, I mean, one of the mistakes. So, you know, that I, I've learned over time is if somebody says I'm willing to spend, I, I can spend seven hundred thousand on a house. Okay. Uh-huh. If you keep it exactly seven hundred thousand, so a lot of people go on the MLS. And I started when I first started. This is what I did a lot. You go on the MLS and say, okay, they're interested in this area, seven hundred thousand. Uh-huh. Then you miss the houses that are just outside that realm. And I'm not, you know, you're not trying to get them to spend more. But the difference of ten thousand dollars on a mortgage is thirty dollars a month. $32 a month. Yeah. It's really not a lot of money. It's a lunchable. So, What was that? It's a lunchable. Yeah, it's a cup of coffee. Right. Like, you know, we were just right. talking about this, right? How much right. does it cost when
0: you go to Starbucks every time? Oh my God, I have four kids. It costs like 30, 40 bucks. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's less
2: than a trip to Starbucks. So, you know, I always tell people, I'm not here to make you spend more money. I'm not trying to encourage you or push you to spend more money. But on the same side of things, if this house is $720,000, is, is, you know, where, you, obviously you have to draw the line somewhere. But if you love this house, are you willing to pay an extra $20,000 for it? I mean, I've had that happen where I didn't propose the right house to somebody because I capped it at whatever they said, uh-huh. and we ended up missing out on it, and they ended up either seeing it with somebody else and working with somebody else, so I missed out on the opportunity,
1: and you learn. So now if somebody Hold says- Hold on, so there's another adage for you. Buyers are- Liars. Liars. Buyers are liars. Anyway, go back. No. So Wait, next... why
0: are buyers liars?
3: Because if they're smart, they would offer 720 for the 720 and then beat them up in the home inspection yeah. and still get it for 700 That's a strategy we'll Ooh. talk about at another, <laughs> that's another, that's another time.
2: But You're not, in that, you're not that deep on. in the mix yet, guys. <laughs> You've got to tune in for like it, eight more episodes. They'll tell you I can spend 700 and then you'll call them back. Oh, yeah, I found a house. It's perfect. It's $800,000. I'm already right. under contract. You're like... You told me 700. So every time somebody says 700, I take that with a grain of salt, and I always tell them that same that same line. I tell them, look, I'm obviously not trying to get you to spend more money, but this house is perfect for you. It's 740,000, and you know, especially if you go to a town with lower taxes. Now you can say, you know, you can spend 850,000 in you know whatever town it might be, Malwa, any particular town that has low taxes, and in doing so, it'll cost you the same amount per month as a higher tax town. Right. So and a lot of people don't realize that. You so know? I'm not trying to plug Saddle River, right? But phenomenal taxes. I right? Just, right. We talked I just about sent a couple. House to towns. Somebody last night. Uh, 1.8 million, 1.9 million, uh, taxes are eleven thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I pay more than that on my house and it's not worth one point nine million. Right? So I, I personally live in Saddle River.
3: Phenomenal town. I have no idea. Surprise. <laughs> he does. But you know we have a great mayor, Mayor Kerpus, like The way they run the town is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's a great place, but again, it goes back to taxes. Because remember guys, that's buying power. And that's buying power in terms of equity, not debt. So you're not paying taxes, like you're using that money and you're creating equity in your property, which has a greater value than originally anticipated than paying property
2: taxes. Which how does the salt work? It's it's up to a certain number anyway. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So at this point, salt is the state and local taxes, your deductions that you're able to make, and obviously you consult an accountant. Don't believe anything I say here because I'm not a you know I'm not an accountant. I'm a realtor. But uh, on that side of things, you're allowed to only deduct ten thousand dollars of your state taxes, your property taxes, as well as your local um, your income tax too. I think built into there. So so you go to a town, you're spending thirty thousand on taxes, you can only deduct ten thousand. So if you go to a town like Saddle River, which Saddle River is, you know, yes, it's not the least expensive town, it's a, it's a beautiful town, it's more expensive than a lot of the neighboring towns, but the taxes are substantially less than, I don't know, a town like Hohokas. Mm-hmm. Substantially less. So, so you can afford more in a town like Saddle River than you can in Hohokas. And they might tell you, well, I don't want to spend a million and a half, I only want to spend a million, but it's going to cost you the same amount of money. And
1: you're going to get a better house and you're going to be paying down principal like, and you get that, you save that money in Saddle River because you need to take the money that you've saved to go buy a boat so you can get around when the town floods.
0: <laughs> Saddle River doesn't <laughs> flood, though. Right. Okay, your mistake. We um, you should plant the trees. Make it a good one. Make it a, a so juicy one.
4: It, where do I even start? I could say that, well, I've gone from being a realtor to flipping houses, investing, and I'd like to think, this may sound strange, but i made every mistake in the book mm-hmm. because that's just the process that I took and that's just the path that I went down, so one mistake that comes to mind on my rehabs, my numbers are always good, which Nima made a great point, and your numbers have to be good. Um, and because my numbers were good, I, went, I came very close to hitting the margin where I would have lost. And the mistake in that was underestimating the time it would take, permits, city delays, partnership. Eric had a great point as well. I had a partnership that went bad. I was responsible for a rehab that was an hour away from my house. I had to take over and do a gut renovation. Um, so, in terms of mistakes, there's a lot, and that's part of the game. And uh, the point is to learn from them and continue doing more deals. Can I ask you a question to the audience?
3: Ask guys, I'm going to, to throw a question because this was fun. This was fun for us too. I don't know how much time we have left. But you guys actually listening, right? And we've kind of touched on a lot. Why don't you guys just message over on the message board and ask us? what interests you and what you would want us to talk about, right? So,
0: well, Jersey already has a question and she Mm. wants you, she or he, sorry, Jersey, wants you to talk about commercial versus, versus, uh, residential. And if you want (laughs) to be a commercial agent, what pathway do you take to get there? Well,
2: it's kind of an (laughs) entire episode. I
0: just want to tell you that Alexander Anderson real estate group does both commercial and residential. So I'm going to throw this to Eric for a second.
2: But can I just say something quickly before you even start? This is no. something that you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going anyway. And that's how you know he's a half <laughs> Uh when, when I first started here, you know, when I first started here and I was toying around with commercial versus residential, and you can do both, but when I was first toying around with both, and you said the, the good thing about commercial is it's typically 9 to 6 or, you know, whatever it might be. It's typically regular business hours. Residential, you're on call 24 hours a day. I answer messages at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, Saturdays, Sundays. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining about it, but it's just a completely different animal with regards to that with your timing. Uh, you know, nobody, not a lot of people want to see a house at nine o'clock in the morning. They typically want to see it at seven o'clock at night when they get off of work.
1: You're like a doctor in residential because you're always on call with everything. Um, I started in residential. I think it's an easier point of entry. Um, I always think that having a broad knowledge base of trying everything when you first get started is great because it gives you the exposure to what's out there. Typically, smaller residential deals close faster than commercial deals, Uh, however, commercial deals tend to have bigger paydays when you get into the bigger commercial properties. Uh, Let's say you're selling a warehouse for $5 million, you're going to get a bigger check than if you're selling a house for a million or a million and a half. What I liked personally about commercial is I'm like a business person, let's say. So when I would go to residential and I would go show a house and the carpeting was green and um, I'm gonna to try to be politically correct here, if the, the homemaker, so that could have been a housewife or a house husband, came into the house and was like, oh my God, I hate this green carpeting and um, they didn't wanna buy the house because they couldn't visual, visualize the green carpeting not being there. So it frustrated me that there was nothing I could really do to change that person's mind or to motivate them um, off of certain things to buy that house, right? Because so, most people, when they're in a the house, they don't know how to visualize you know, a renovation or cosmetic changes. They can't do it, so they're looking at what's there. For me, with commercial, because of my business experience and my business acumen, I could actually help people. With numbers um, by showing them what they're gonna make if they buy this property or by helping them understand what they could put in this property or with my prior business experience helping them understand what it would be like to take their business and put it in here and the benefits of property ownership or you know sim- similarly with leasing situations if I'm getting a business to move into a new area so for me it was something that I could I could manipulate more and offer, ha- and have more of my, my heart and, and give more of a concrete answers, which I felt I could help get to closing better with. Um, that, so residential just wasn't for me. That doesn't mean that there aren't people that can do that. I, I know that there's plenty of, of um, again, I'm trying to be politically correct, plenty of women out there. Um, I know one specifically who's a, like a, a designer businesswoman and she can go into any property, and just with her excitement and her um, how she talks to people, she can help them see visually what a house could look like differently. And um, if you're that type of person, you know, man or woman, I think that that could be a, an angle for you. You know, so it's really about your personality and it's also about what you like. Um, I like residential and commercial, but I just gravitated towards the commercial. It's just more fun and more exciting for me. Um, and for me, there's there's less limitations on it. So if I wanna go and find a 10-acre piece of property, I can turn that into whatever I want. I can bring a builder there, I can divide it, and I could sell off lots, I can put a strip mall there, I could do whatever I want. It's just more, it's more creative, it's more, um, makes my brain work a little harder, I think. Um, that's just me. But everybody has their own flavor, and that's why I would encourage you to try a little bit of everything. So just to Eric's point, right, so from from an
3: outside standpoint, because I'm not a real estate agent, right, I'm an attorney and an investor myself, Uh, when you're involved in commercial real estate as agents, somebody like me is going to be looking to and relying on you to be really good with numbers and knowing your facts and knowing the area. Because residential is easy, you pull comps, you get it, you understand. Commercial is a very different beast. Like I'll give you an example, I bought a commercial unit um, and I went to Eric because while I'm very, very versed in residential real estate pretty much my whole life, right? I don't know much about commercial. It doesn't translate immediately and that easily. So I look to Eric for knowledge as to what's the price per square foot, what is the average rental rate, even in terms of what I should do for reno, right? How should I build this out? How much should I spend on construction so I get my money back? Will it pay off? I don't know these things. And if Eric didn't know them or couldn't guide me properly, he couldn't do me a disservice. I know Eric does. That's why I go to him as a friend, as a, as a broker, as an agent, um, as a person knowledgeable in this. So if you're going to get into a commercial and you're doing it for one of your clients and that's how you make money, you know, don't try. Be smart and know what you're not good at and look to, again, the mentor or someone else Um, to guide you in that And, and someone else posted there, you know, about joining Alexander Anderson's real estate group, right? It's not a bad idea when you have somebody like Eric, if you want to be in both areas to look to for that type of a mentorship because you really, you need to know, your clients will ask you. There's not a single buyer out there. Is not going to call you and say, what's a price per square footage, you know, what's things going for, because look, they're not really looking to buy and flip usually when it comes to commercial. Those are institutional investors because sometimes you can run higher vacancies than residential, you have to have your money tied up. Those are guys who are looking to hold that property for a prolonged period of time and will look to you for not just the purchase, but the subsequent renting of that building after they're done with their construction. So really know your stuff once you start getting into commercial because it is... Very, very number and knowledge intensive. Would that be it's, fair to
1: say? It's very fair to say. It's just it's be subjective. It's you have to like, like what you're doing. doing. Um, you know, Adam's a super smart guy. He has a lot of experience in business sales prior to doing residential. He just that was his niche. That's his thing. He he likes it. He could do both, but he likes residential better. You know, it's just for me. It was just I like the commercial. I like the building. You know, I was a business person from when I was 12. I used to run the student store in my um, what is it, middle school. So like, I was always a business guy. So for me, it just, that's why I gravitated there. You know, everybody has, different, everybody has different flavors. But there's no reason
2: you can't, like you said, that you can't do both. So I generally focus on residential, but if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm looking for an office building, I'm looking for something else, mm-hmm. there's no reason that I'm, I'm still gonna work that just the same way I'd work a residential lead because it still is a lead and I'm still gonna help them find the property that they want yeah because you're knowledgeable, but you could also pull on a co-broker. A yeah co-agent, you could right? always yeah, you could always have somebody you know from the office join you and you can work yeah. on it together.
1: But the difference is he's gonna market himself you're and correct me if I'm wrong, you're you're pr- promoting yourself as a residential correct person, correct. not as a commercial person. Whereas me, I don't promote myself as a residential. I would promote myself as a commercial.
0: So uh, a lot of people are asking, we're gonna get to that. A lot of people are asking, you know, how do you shadow them for a day? How do you get in touch? How do you join Alexander Anderson? You could always go to alexander-anderson.com. You can also call the school at 201-343-6640 and I will give you all of the info. Well, myself, Lauren or Erin will give you all of the information you need. But let's go to this question because this is something that I think we all want to know from successful people. It's always interesting to know what things do they do that get them to that goal. So, what is one small thing that each person does every single day that helps you towards success?
1: Wake up. (laughs) Don't sleep. On time. I'm never on time. I'm always, my on time is like 15 minutes late.
0: I can attack. So, I I, love that. His 15
1: is my 45. Ah. I love
3: that question. Why? Because I don't think that that has an answer. I think it has to be internal. It's not something you do. It's like probably the one thing that physics doesn't apply to. There's no action-reaction. Yeah. It's not like if you wake up and you write a checklist that you'll do that checklist. right? You read all these motivational books that say, do this, do that. If you do this, you will succeed. To me, and I mean this respectfully, to all these authors who wrote the books, you it's, wrote a book. it's bullshit. Ebook. Right? Why? Because the only thing that can make you want to succeed is yourself it's not the money. You guys will make the money. It's You'll realize successful people have made their money. There's a reason they haven't retired yet. It's something that just needs to be inside of you that you want to wake up and just be savage that day. You want to just find something and you want to go at it at 120%. And it doesn't even mean it has to be productive for business. It could be waking up on a Saturday, you have a kid, and building something for that for your child. Like, you just need to wake up and have a drive internally for yourself for wanting to... Get at a task and complete it and being the best version of yourself. There's nothing you can do. There's no small task. There's no one individual thing, in my opinion, that will somehow trigger some genes in you to want to have a draw. Let's give
0: some good one like <laughs> What are some of the things? What is something that you do every day that you feel, I get it, it has to be inside of you. It has to be that fire. Are you a fire starter? Right it has to be that fire that's burning one. you. You got one?
1: Visualization.
0: Yes. That's if a good you one. you
1: visualize it, you can own it. Drink a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one
3: thing I do every single morning, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, it? is it spiked or this no? is number. <laughs> this is number
2: three for today, right? Not a good habit, by the way, guys, uh-huh. but, uh, I mean, don't take no as an answer. Like, mm-hmm. don't take no. Like, some, they're, you're gonna be told no, you're gonna be told they're not looking to sell, you're not
1: gonna be, you know, all these different things. You have to find a way around it. And let me tell you, when Adam says don't take
4: no, I know him very well, it's like exhausting, so <laughs> <laughs> he means that. Yeah. Um, so just to add to Nima's comment, which was great. Um, I agree that there's no small thing that's consistent, and, but what, what happens is as you start pursuing something that you believe in, you develop habits, and those habits turn into those small things on a daily basis. So for me, it's waking up early. I love my mornings. I'll, I'll decide whether or not it's worth going out at night if it beats what I can do in the morning. That's my decision making at this point. (laughs) Um. Here's some basic numbers to that, right guys? Just do the math, right?
3: So you figure you have five business days a week, five business days, assuming you're not working Saturday and Sunday, which you should if you wanna be successful because no one successful doesn't work on the weekend, sorry. Um, At five days a week, if you normally wake up at 8 a.m. to get to work at 9, right? And you choose to wake up at 6.30 instead, right? That gives you an hour and a half more a day. Multiply that by five days. What do you have? You have 7.5 hours, right? Assuming my math is right. Okay. 6.5 yeah. hours. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, right?
3: So that's another full day of productivity you just added to your schedule from merely waking up an hour and a half earlier. The only reason you're not waking up an hour and a half earlier is because you either go to bed too late right? Or you're just being lazy and you don't want to wake up earlier. Or you're so, tired. But you can be tired and wake up and still grind. Yeah. I mean, who's successful? Well, you're only successful when you're not tired and well rested. I don't get a yeah. massage every morning before I get into the office. Relax. Yeah, you just house. told us you're grinding every morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm so grumpy in the mornings, right? Because I'm just at like <laughs> 200 miles an hour. But that's a reality. And then guys, work on Saturdays. Put in four hours every Saturday, right? There's 52 weeks a year, right? Which means you can have 52 hypothetical Saturdays. At four hours, you're adding 208 hours to your year on top of the person to your left and to your right. (laughs) Uh, So I was an engineer before I was a lawyer. Uh, So, all right, 208 hours. Now, if you divide that out over the course of eight hours a day, I mean, you're talking about what, like 27 some odd, 26 extra days. Like that's that's an entire month of productivity you added just by working four hours a day on Saturdays. So that means the guy to your right, you've worked one month a year more than him. You have a 13 month year. So you know everyone's saying like, "Oh, I wish I had more time. You do have more time. You can have a 13 month year and imagine how much more money you'll make another month of income for four measly hours a week.
0: So we're gonna wrap it up. I'm gonna say that I make sure that I have time to myself every day so I can be quiet. I talk a lot and I'm very perky and I'm very excitable. So I need to make sure every day that I have downtime and that I can be quiet and sort of just not Block out everything else, but we're going to wrap this up. Is that up. the
1: hour when I call you that you don't answer?
0: <laughs> no, okay. but some days
1: just to pray to get a sip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to do
3: that too, guys. So
0: we're going to quickly go through, and I just want everyone to give a, a quick tip, a very quick tip that people can take with them this week. Something in your in your specialty.
4: Starting with you. I would say. Um, when you start getting into doing deals, always do your due diligence. Before you buy get too excited about the deal, make sure the numbers make sense, because if they don't, don't get involved. Think outside the box.
3: Read every line. Don't think because you're not a lawyer or you're not someone else that you shouldn't read the documents you sign. Usually, it's just in English. Just read it.
2: You'll learn and you will put yourself in a bad position. And mine is be responsive. I can't tell you how many people, like I, you know, if you, if I have a potential lead that contacts me, it could be two o'clock in the morning. If they text me or call me at two o'clock in the morning and I'm awake, I'm going to answer them. So on the residential end, especially be responsive. I can't tell you how many people tell me that, you know, other people just don't get back to them. So just get back to them, be as responsive as you can be. I don't care what you're doing. Just think of every lead as a potential sale and it brings you closer to your goal.
1: Awesome.
0: So our goals guys is to do this every week maybe different topics maybe we'll add someone this is our core team of experts um, and it's our job to keep you guys in the mix it's our job to keep you here at the center for real estate education all in the now so um we will be back next thursday so if you want to spend your lunch time with us get your popcorn come on up anything you want to say
1: we'll see you in the mix
0: yes we'll see you in the mix